This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. So I'm back. Uh... <laughs> Mark tried to lock me out while he recorded last week. Uh, I found the key snuck in the back window. So we're ready to talk about Jonah again. <laughs> Because you're going to be missing for two weeks. I'll be heading back out of town. My wife and I are having our 10-year anniversary. And uh, it kind of falls around our her birthdays and my birthday and our anniversary all at the same time. So it's the right time to do it all at once. Just don't go in the ocean because you might get swallowed up by a whale. I mean. Yeah. And then come back first first person experience. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with that, but anyway. Uh, I was just thinking there's a whole lot of things I shouldn't do. You just just don't do this. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do this. You ever hear somebody do that? <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, don't such and such. <laughs> oh. And the last person just told me whatever I do, do you know, don't do the thing next to that. So <laughs> if it keeps on going. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Last podcast of Jonah, we let we basically got chapter one, verses one through three. Um I don't think any recapping is necessary, is it? No, they can go listen. <laughs> Get the audio. Get the tape. We will. Yeah, we should put this on tape. <laughs> Cassettes <laughs> so nobody can, now. So nobody can listen to it. Uh, let's see. Starting in verse 4 then. Chapter 1, verse 4. How many verses do you want to go before we stop? Just one? Oh, no, you can read a few if you want. We'll just kind of go back. That little section seems to stop about 6, so we'll go 4 through 6. Okay. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up there. So I'll start over. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought, excuse me, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What you think? Well, I thought it was interesting that they were mariners and they're used to being on the sea. Isn't that a baseball team? <laughs> used to, well, I guess it still is. Yeah, <laughs> King Griffey Jr. used to play for them. But uh, anyway, I just told you the max of my uh, baseball knowledge. Oh, I used to love baseball back in the early '90s. So, and I recognize the name of one team. So, oh, that's the only good player that was on the team is King Griffey Jr. So that's the only reason why people knew him. Ah, uh. but anyway, <clears throat> so you have these Mariners and. Um, you know, they're used to the sea. They're used to storms. I mean, that seems like their livelihood. That's where, you know, they go is on their ship. And here they're afraid, which I think is kind of, which kind of struck me as, uh, on an interesting thought that they were afraid of a storm that they should be used to. So evidently, I think it was a, a really stronger storm than what they're used to in the sense that they're actually fearing their lives, not just their boat. Um, being destroyed, but um, their lives, and also they're probably far, far out in the sea. Yeah. Um, you know, because 
Deep enough for a big fish. Deep, <laughs> deep enough for a big fish, exactly. I, I was when you said uh I don't know why I haven't thought of it as real plain as day. The mariners were afraid of a storm they should have been used to. I've heard it preached before about the disciples when Jesus was in the boat sleeping, like you mentioned. Yeah. The disciples actually were fishermen. They should have kind of been used to it also. And yeah. and especially you you always hear preachers say this too, that a storm just bam comes up all of a sudden on the Sea of Galilee. Out of nowhere, they actually they grew up there on that that right. lake, that sea. They should recognize that and know that, and it should be like a, this is a normal thing. Yeah, the storm's coming. It's probably gonna get bad, and then all of a sudden it gets really bad. Yeah, not necessarily. It's safe. We don't care, but we know how bad it's gonna be. We live through these. Let's let's weather this one too. Yeah, but. Another interesting thought that I put was um, in verse four, the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind. Um, sometimes we think, you know, the enemy is attacking, or but here God is causing the storm. God is yeah. causing the the winds to pick up and, and so forth. So, and the word for wind is ruach, ah, which is the the Lord sent spirit, basically. He sent a great spirit, or he hurled a great spirit. It's also breath. Hmm. That's that's one of those. Um, you you've already said it before, so I know you know it. But uh, wind in Hebrew and in Greek is one word in each for wind, breath, spirit, wind, right. breath, spirit. Numen ruach. So what's the what is hurled? Tool to cast. Yeah, I guess he he cast a great wind. He he blew a great breath. Either way, let's see. Uh, verse 7, if you're done. Sure. For, uh, verse 7, they say to one another, Come, let us cast lots that, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And casting lots uh, is a practice that um, has been done um, even in the New Testament, they you know they cast lots. They chose two when they cast lots and fell Matthias. Um, Proverbs talks about casting lots. Um, so casting lots was basically there was two forms that I read about. One was dice, which is what we use now. I mean, they just had holes and they roll the dice. And then there's another kind of lot where they're kind of like coins, mm-hmm. not necessarily like heads and tails, but they did have two dif- distinct things on them. Yeah. Um, Arms and legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lion and the bear. I don't know. And um, so here they cast lots, and God is the one that appointed it the to, answer. Yeah, yeah. To lead to Jonah. So I did a little bit of looking into uh, lots. I don't know. Did you look extra biblical or just in verses that they sh- it shows up? Just in a few verses it showed up. I've got uh, the first mention, by the way, is Leviticus 16, Yom Kippur, when they choose, they take, they bring the two goats. Oh, we, need, we might need to do a search on that and see. Uh, Peter brings these two disciples forward and casts lots to see which one's going to be hmm. the guy who's going to be another witness with them, another apostle. And then uh, traditionally in Yom Kippur, they bring two goats and cast lots over them to see which one's going to be the, the one who... <laughs> one one gets killed and one gets sent yeah. away. Uh, let's see. Then 
Numbers, Joshua, and First Chronicles, lots are all for a dividing inheritance. Judges 20, verse 9, decides who goes to fight. Nehemiah, they decide how to split responsibility and who will decide who will live in Jerusalem. Divisions for the gatekeepers in First Chronicles 26. Haman did an Esther trying to decide when he wanted to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> Psalms and Proverbs, like you said, both of those uh, have a couple of things here and there. Psalms 22 is the, uh, the, the what do you want to call it? The uh, prophecy, basically, of, of yeah. Jesus, and they cast lots for his clothes, and they actually did that. So uh, let's see. Proverbs 18, 18. The lot puts an end to quarrels. Then I just made note in all the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, there is casting of lots, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum. Joel, Nahum, and Obadiah all cast lots for selling people. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of those are all for, like, uh, end of Jerusalem or end of Judah in Israel days before the Assyrians came and before uh, Babylon comes. So you can you can see some language there about how they would come in, conquer the place, and cast lots to see who would take what slaves, that kind of thing. And then jumping in the New Testament, you've already mentioned those. Uh, they cast lots for Jesus' clothes and for a new disciple. I do want to mention, though, because before we go too far, simply because it's an early one in my note, I had labeled this as uh, 1 verses 5 through 10. I guess we're going to get to this more, but... Each man called out to whatever God might listen. That's when the captain goes down there and he says that to him. Whatever your God is, call out to him. Maybe he'll think of us. Maybe he'll pay attention to us. Yeah. So they all expected everybody to do so. And the point in this is, to me, they all respected any God who might help. <laughs> but when we look at because you hear a lot of preachers preach this in Jonah, like they all... <laughs> they all believed in Yahweh God. They all believed in God of Israel. Right. No, they they sacrificed to the one who answered them. They didn't all become Christians that day. And we can say we don't know what we we don't know what happened to them afterwards. Right. But for the most part, we have other examples where somebody sees that Yahweh God is superior to their God. They decide to stick with their God even after the event. Yeah. So I mean. This guy over here is praying to one God. This guy over here is praying to another God. This guy over here is praying to another God. And then they go get wake Jonah up and say, hey, pray to your God too. Right. In case one of them hears us. And I'm, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you mentioned the sacrifice. I mean, if, if, if we believe in a different God and your God answers, we're like, okay, well, your God answered. I'm going to make a sacrifice, even though I might not worship him or know him. Yeah. I'm just going to be thankful he listened. So here's a sacrifice for you. Then I can go back and worship my God. I mean, yeah. they didn't listen, but this is common stuff we read through the Old Testament and right. especially extra biblical, but through the Middle Eastern time and all the let's see all the conquering Greek and uh, Roman uh, conquerors when they would come through. Yeah, when those empires came through, they didn't abolish other religions and proclaim their one God. They were multi-believers. I mean, they believed in many different things. And they would simply simply assimilate a new god into their pantheon. Right. They weren't about you know excommunicating all but one. Yeah, and if one god didn't listen, then maybe you didn't. Maybe you did something wrong. Say so to another god uh, yeah. to figure out, and it just goes on and on and on. So yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean you neglect the gods you're worshiping. It just means you're going to the next god or 
find another guide or yeah. figure out something else. I guess I, w- I wanted to make something out of this because I sometimes feel like we take it uh, as, from a post-cross New Testament perspective, and our belief is that Yahweh God is the supreme God. Right. <clears throat> and that Jesus is God in the flesh. We we come at it like that, and we look back at this, and we say, oh, these guys all became believers that day. I just don't think that, that holds water. <laughs> no. Yeah. So... On from the points of casting lots, where are you going next? I did make note of that verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? Well, the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he, he obviously buys a ticket, gets on the boat, he's, and they say, uh, Hey, how are you? Uh, my, name's, my name's Bob. <laughs> oh, I'm Jonah. <laughs> yeah. What you, where are you going? He said, I'm just running from God. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then he goes downstairs and goes to sleep. Yeah. So, and he's he's on a long journey. I mean, it's a long journey from his place to Chapa. So he's tired. I think it'd be easy to sleep on a boat too. Probably. <laughs> I can't sleep on a plane. I can sleep anywhere else. I don't think I've ever tried to sleep on a boat. I'm like sure it's try. peaceful though. Hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Into... Yeah, like, like you talked about verse 10, that they were exceedingly afraid. It's yeah. the level of being afraid seems to be escalating. So I think the storm is either getting worse or their faith in God's, whether it's is getting less, is, is it becoming less. Yeah. Like we're, they're accepting we're going to die out here. Um, so I'm not sure which one is it, but um, regardless, their fear is, is building. And then Jonah obviously reveals to them that he's running from God, like you mentioned. Um, and they weren't really sure how to please this God. They weren't sure how to fix things. I mean, yeah. you know, okay, well, what do we need? So they asked Jonah, you know, what do we need to do to fix this? And Jonah says, hurl me over the... It, this is a lot simpler answer than uh, Balaam gave Balak. <laughs> <laughs> seven yeah. bulls, seven rams, yeah, seven altars on the hill. Yeah, I, I, th- I think this is my interpretation of that is that Jonah's a prophet, and as a prophet, you know um, that you're God's spokesman, and if you don't speak, or if your word does not line up with God, you pretty much are gonna get stoned to death. You're going to die. I mean, yeah. you're you're speaking as God's mouthpiece, so it better be accurate. And uh, so he's disobeying the word. He's going against it, so he knows that um, disobeying the result is death. So I think in Jonah's mind, the only way to stop God from destroying them all is for Jonah's life to be gone. And he just said, just toss me over. So these guys on the ship must not have been Assyrians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were. I wouldn't say they were either. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. We don't really have any indication, but we always hear they're mixed, and I guess that's what we're going on too. They're mixed from all kinds of different nations. They could, every single one of them, be from one other place. They could all be Egyptians, or they right. could all be, I don't know. what, what would be, if We're saying this is a ship of Tarshish, and we discussed that last podcast, but Let's say they're all from Spain. They could all be a bunch of Spaniards. 
<laughs> they Not that there's any Spanish yet. But <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, so yeah, they, you know, Jonah tells them what to do. And I think the interesting thing is they ignore Jonah's advice. They just say, okay. So they row harder and harder and harder and try to get to land. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the response to Jonah. So I think it's interesting. Either they thought Jonah was crazy. They had some kind of moral code as far as they think killing is wrong. Meaning that that's, they, that's the direction I know, was heading towards. There's a possibility that if, the, if we dump this guy over in this storm, he's going to drown. We can't let that happen. Yeah. So. Well, he's also told them that he is, he's tied up with God. He's a prophet. And I forget if it was, uh, I've been in several study Bibles recently, so I couldn't tell you which one noted. It's not my own idea is my point in mentioning that. But one of the study Bibles notes made mention that these guys were probably afraid of throwing a man of God, a prophet of God, over the boat and killing him. Hmm. Because if that God is somebody <laughs> and we kill his prophet, yeah, there you go. We're, yeah, we're definitely going to die. So they, they either feared the God or they respected human life <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. So, I mean, they, re they released the cargo. That didn't work. Especially if they just now cast lots and they said it fell on Jonah, so it must be his God doing this storm. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, They're point. now aware that his God is the one making the storm. Okay, let's throw his prophet overboard. That ought to really help. <laughs> <laughs> that makes well, that you, does make a lot of sense. You see the thinking there now. So. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so the releasing the cargo and it didn't work. Um, calling on their gods didn't work. And now they're rowing hard to get to land, and it's not working. And I thought the the word hard here means to actually dig through. So these guys are desperately rowing as hard as they can, like digging in the ground, um, bearing hard to try to get to land. So they are definitely, their fear has escalated. It's afraid, exceedingly afraid, and now these guys are digging in trying their best to get to land in. Is verse 13? Uh, verse 14. You got road hard in 14? I'm sorry, you're right, 13. Okay. I was going to say, maybe our Bibles are different. <laughs> <laughs> right, verse 13. I had gotten, I'd noticed over, you know, over my stack, I have a Schofield Bible I'd never really looked at much. The notes are never very long. And I was noticing, I think they have some of the notes I read. It almost seems to be a hundred year old style of interpretation. I thought, I, I need to see that. I haven't heard some mm. of those things that way because mostly what I've been listening to since so I've been saved are all uh, more modern preachers. Right. Even if they're older preachers still in this time, I think they're, they're in my opinion, there's like a, a wave of time period, almost like a spirit of interpretation. And the spirit seems to be a different spirit of interpretation. Yeah, same Holy Spirit, but a different way of bringing the, the verses right. across over time. Yeah. But the Schofield note in this little section here was or just about Jonah in general, but it's where it kind of fit. Typically, Jonah foreshadows the nation of Israel out of its own land. I just inserted this here because he's being thrown overboard. So picturing or foreshadowing a nation of Israel out of its own land, it's a trouble to the Gentiles, he's a trouble to the Gentiles, yet witnessing to them, cast out by them, 
but miraculously preserved in their future deepest distress calling. That, that is probably another typo. I try to catch those before I read them out loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Deepest distress calling upon Jehovah's Savior and finding deliverance and then becoming missionaries to the Gentiles. Okay, that is right. It's foreshadowing Israel out of its own land. So when Israel was in their deepest distress, they called upon Jehovah's Savior. They found deliverance, which is what Jonah did. He calls upon Jehovah's Savior. He found deliverance, and then becomes a missionary to the Gentiles anyway. Hmm. It's funny to me how, how many times that Gentiles are mentioned in a way in the Old Testament, and then what we all, I mean, you hear anybody who visits Israel, uh, Jews are not nice to other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> overall and it's not a I guess it is a we're better than you thing because <laughs> you're a Gentile and you're not a Jew so yeah you're not, you're not a part of the chosen yeah let's see that was my uh, that was my Schofield note right there but what so, you want to head towards so verse 14 um, therefore obviously when you see therefore it means look before <laughs> Look and see what it's there for. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so they being this, the mariners called out to the Lord Yahweh and asked, you know, not to perish for Jonah's life. Um, so they actually do what Jonah says. They pick up Jonah and toss him into the sea, and then the sea stopped raging. Bam. So, yeah. The end. The end. Well, okay, we'll see y'all we, next we podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> hope you got something out of, out of it in the last 20 minutes. So, thank you. <laughs> no, but, um, so the, you know, I think it's funny that when Jonah got on the ship, God started the sea, and then when Jonah gets off the ship, he stops the sea. It's that parallelism, yeah. again, that we talk about throughout this, this book, that there's always this parallel thing going on throughout the whole structure. Of the book. Wait a minute. Did I just miss what you were saying there? What? What's the parallel? I'll say when when Jonah got on the boat, he this God started the storm. When he got off the boat, God stopped the storm. And then when God God started chapter one, arise, go to Nineveh, and then the captain comes down and says, Arise, you sleeper. It's like the exact I mean, it's like Okay, I thought you were getting at a parallel of there is a storm and then when Jesus was out of the boat. Oh. There was a storm when he's out of the boat. When he gets in the boat, the storm really stops. I don't know. I thought that's what you were getting at. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I was pointing out just some little parallel stuff. So Jonah's, Jonah's in the sea, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Again, there's that word. They were exceedingly afraid. Now they feared the Lord, which I think is a little bit different. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We don't know what those vows are. Um, we could just say, hey, we're adding you to um, yeah, our, our list of gods. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean salvation, yeah. um, which a lot of people will speculate, but I don't think there's enough evidence to support that. Um, well, I mean, uh, like we just said, though, but they didn't come, become instant believers, but they had just asked Jonah, uh, where's your land? What's your people? What's your God? And he told them the name. Well, they know the name now. So... Either added or not, but they're doing sacrifices because they just now been told the name. So yeah, but I was wondering about the name because it shows up right here, you know, pretty prominently. I was wondering how many times it was in Jonah just by chance. So that's one thing I do often is count like 
huh, this, there's a handful right there. I'll smack together like in a psalm. I, when I go through the psalms in the past, I have counted as I'm reading the psalm, I go back when I finish and I'll count how many times uh, Lord, capital all capitals, is in the that right. psalm and write it down beside the psalm number. Well, by chance, uh, Yahweh, the Lord, is in Jonah 26 times. I mean, it's not me a whole beans to nobody, but if you add all the numbers all of the letters up in Yahweh, it's 26. Mm. It's 26 times in Jonah. Mm. I think sometimes maybe that he just shows up like that in some numerical thing just to show presence Yeah, that he's there. Verse 17 that doesn't exist in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> you want to explain that? Okay, uh, so Mark, he, he had texted me the other day and said, here's something odd. Uh, the Hebrew Bible doesn't have Jonah one seventeen, and it is Jonah two one. If you look look for it, it's just shifted. I don't know why on this, but for some reason, because to me, if I'm translating, let's say I'm translating the Hebrew book of something, and we'll call it Jonah, and it's four chapters long, and I'm going to mark it out the same way they mark it out. I'm going to try to take what is a complete thought, which we would call a sentence. I'm going to try to translate that complete thought. Yeah. And as four or five complete thoughts, four or five sentences come together and they look like a paragraph, I'm going to try to make that a paragraph. <laughs> right. Translating it into English, I'm going to have different separations and punctuations than they would, but I'm going to try to keep things together that seem to already be together. So I don't have a clue why you would want to translate it differently than that way. So... yeah. I, Verse 17 just seems out of place when you read chapter one and chapter two. Because yeah. it, it, you know, if you put 17 in chapter two, chapter two begins with the fish and ends with the fish. So it's like, oh, so I'll look at chapter two as one complete yeah. thought if you include verse 17. Right. So. But if you count uh, 17 as a transition thought to get from Jonah on the boat into Jonah in the whale, the middle is. Jonah in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but either way, just to say what I had told Mark that I have noticed is that for some reason that English translators have decided over time to, through various places in the Old Testament to take something that is the first or or first and second verse of a chapter and for some reason count it as the last or last two verses of the previous chapter. I never see it the other way that I remember. I'm just talking off, you know, shooting from right. the hip. But I never see it the other way. It's usually backing verses up into a previous chapter. And I, I still don't know purpose or reason to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> and like you said, this really fits better in chapter two because in that way, um, the fish eats him and then the fish throws him up. You literally have verb in 17, swallow. The great fish swallows him. Then you have the verb in 2.10, the fish, the fish vomits him up. So you have a real complete thought there of, Eating and throwing up, <laughs> and all the prayer in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So chapter two is pretty much Jonah praying. That's all it is. Jonah talking to God. I um, do want to point out an odd detail. You tell me what you think of this. It should it should be taken exactly literal. Okay. One seventeen, and the Lloyd uh, and the Lloyd <laughs> and the Lloyd appointed a great fish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Here's the the kicker. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter two, verse one. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and his and yeah, to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So my point is, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. Do you think that's kind of like uh, Pharaoh saying to Moses, "Get these frogs out of here"? And Moses says, "Okay, when do you want them out of here? Do it tomorrow." No, get them out of here right now. <laughs> it maybe wasn't the frogs. You remember that? It was one of the plagues. He yeah. says, get them out of here. And he's like, when do you want to do it? Just start tomorrow. Right. <laughs> why? Yeah, why? So Jonah's in the belly of the well three days maybe, and then he decides, oh, I should pray. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. I I tend to think it was within those three days that he prayed. I don't think it was after the three days, just because the fact of the reference with Jesus so he Jesus. would be in there a total of three, and yeah. this would have had to take place before the, the yeah. this come to and an it end. It could have been day one, day two. I probably tend to think it was probably closer to day three. Um, you know, just him probably frustrated. Uh, <clears throat> so that would, yeah, I guess that would go along with some things I've seen with God in my personal life. Is I, I would, I would choose to if I could. I would choose to break earlier. I would choose to give in earlier. I can say it with my mouth, but I haven't really done it in my heart yet, and God doesn't move. Yeah. And then when I actually finally break in my heart about what I'm trying to be, you know, be rebellious or stern about, when I finally give in to that and really give up to God, suddenly he moves, bam. Yeah. Uh, I was in a real hard time before I met Hasten for about four months, crying out and screaming out to the point of praying until I was exhausted. And then at the end of prayer, I would get these soft whispers of things that I still haven't forgotten, some of the things I've been told, I was told then. Right. But at the very end of that four months, I really got, because I was I was praying for restoration of a relationship, which never came. And when I finally, you know, warning a wife, I finally said to God, okay, you know what I like. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to bring me somebody that I think is hot. Yeah. You're going to bring somebody who's sweet. You're going to bring somebody I get along with. At least most of the time. <laughs> uh, and so whatever you want to bring me. When I got that thought that I was trying to pray for four months, when I got it out of my head down in my heart, when I really didn't mean, okay, God, whatever you want, suddenly I met her within a week. <laughs> so, and now we're here on, on 10 years marriage. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking Jonah is, Maybe not waiting three whole days, but on the third day, he's like, I, I need to do something. I need to finally give up. Yeah. But, well, you find out that God is, you know, it says God appointed the fish. So God will find out, you know, God saves Jonah through the fish or by the fish. And so Jonah's <clears throat> got to realize God's God doesn't want him to die. God wants him to go do what he asked him to do. And so God is continually trying to, Save him. Yeah. And, you know, we'll find out some other stuff. But um, you got to wonder, though, Jonah didn't know which way the fish was swimming. Was the fish swimming three days' journey straight towards the shore? Yeah, I don't think he knew. (laughs) I think he just, I think he was like, how am I alive? I just got swallowed by a fish. So uh, I don't know what Jonah was thinking. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? What do you think? It's a fish. (laughs) Well, I mean, the word there, we we discussed this, but... uh, the word dag is just a, a word uh, for fish. It's not the word we get from Genesis 1 for whales and, and 
like big sea monsters type word, tanim. It's not that word. So I don't know how big it was, but it's not what we normally translate for, for whale. Yeah. I mean, I, the two, the two uh, fish that I've heard is a sperm whale and a tilapia, uh whale shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big tilapia. Scrooper. <laughs> Let's see the but, but the, a well but a whale shark and a sperm whale are both in the Mediterranean Sea, which is where Jonah more than likely was yeah. in. And um those are two big fish. Um I was talking to my wife the other day and she she's like, I think it's a shark or a whale shark. And if I remember right fish, not a mammal. Yeah. Well, if I remember right, I th- it one of the two, either the sperm whale or the whale shark, I wish I could remember. Um, their diameter of their esophagus isn't big enough to swallow a whole person. So it kind of narrowed it down to really just one. Huh. So I, I can't remember which one it was, but we were just having a conversation. I was kind of looking up little facts about them. But, um, I mean, you know, the other, anim- the other animal was is big enough to swallow a person. Um, could a person survive? You know, there's been some people saying there's records of people being swallowed by a fish and, and being bleached. Um, I don't, I, I kind of looked and saw that some of those things were hoax. So I don't really know yeah. if they're true or not. So, um, but nevertheless, Jesus considered this book and this story as a fact. So yeah. um, I tend to think being swallowed by a fish is really a small miracle, so to speak, to have faith in than <laughs> previous things in the Bible. I want to say it was the Schofield note that said, uh, uh, doubting that Jonah could be swallowed by a fish is not the actual thing here to have faith in. If you doubt the story, you're really doubting Jesus who quoted it. Yeah, you're calling his witness into question and, and basically calling him a liar by not believing this story. That's a good point. So, uh, and uh, the Schofield Bible really, I mean, it came down like a Baptist hellfire preacher and that particular note right there like your problem is your sin it's not your, it's not the fish it's your sin so okay so before we go through the prayer uh i and, and look at individual things about it i thought this morning i'm kind of shooting uh, left and right here i should go through this thing and outline it did you outline chapter two just straight I mean, I have a few things, uh, kind of. I just thought it was kind of neat what it what it showed me just to try to make an outline of it and organize it. But uh, you got kind of the same stuff, and I'll just read through it kind of quick. Um, to two, he cried out to the Lord; he heard me. Three and uh, two, three through four is all this stuff is from the Lord. Deep. Seas, floods, billows, waves. He names five things. Two, four, basically, you cast me away, but I will turn back to you. And it, it quotes the phrase, your holy temple. Then two, five through six, this stuff is so bad, it reaches even down to my soul. He names five more things. Deep, again, mm. deep weeds, bottom of the mountains, bars of the earth, eternity. Two, seven, my prayer made it all the way into your holy temple. And then 8 through 10, idols versus the Lord. These don't seem, because there seems to be, if you look at the first one, he cries out to the Lord, the Lord hears him. Then he names five things that are from the Lord that are pretty tough stuff. And then even though you cast me away, I'll turn back to your holy temple. 
Right. Then he names five more things that are from the Lord that are tough stuff. And he says, uh, to get back to the idea of the holy temple, and I cried out to you and you heard me, he puts them together and says, my prayer made it all the way into your holy temple. You heard it. But then at the very end, uh, 2, 8 through 10, he seems to basically say as a cap off to all of his prayer, idols versus the Lord. Praying to idols forsakes your opportunity to be saved by a real God. Hmm. You're praying to these idols. That was a, I forget which, I want to say it was a King James. It was an extremely odd verse, the way it was written. I think it was uh, verse 8. Those who regard vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Yeah, the King James in that one particular verse, I was thinking, I don't, I would just be lost sitting there if that's the only translation I had. I just had to skip that verse. I don't know what it means. Yeah. But basically it means you want to pray to idols, you're giving up your opportunity to actually be saved by a real God. <laughs> uh, let's hmm. see. Declares his allegiance to the Lord, declares salvation belongs to the Lord. That's how it kind of caps it off, those three ideas. Yeah, I put um I put that this prayer is one of thanksgiving, but the prayer retells the events that follow um his time in the ocean. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I put verse two through seven seem to be uh telling what took place while he was in the ocean. So this is a retelling while he's in the fish of what happened. Mm-hmm. The belly of Sheol. Uh Sheol can refer to a grave or a place of the dead, not necessarily hell. So he is <clears throat> pretty much dying. He's on the verge of death. Yeah. Um, so he sees it. Um, but God uh, says that God cast him into the deep seas, not the mariners. So, you know, God appointed the fish, God appointed Jonah. And I think I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, one, it shows God's foreknowledge of what, you know, Jonah's doing, but I think it shows more than that. Um, so, but Jonah is in the sea with no land around. He's in the process of dying and describing all of what's going on. Jonah is either tired of trying or just giving up. I mean, you know, how, how much longer can you stay swimming in the ocean? Yeah. After you just got tossed, you know? So um, either he's just tired or he's just like, you know what? God's going to kill me. I might as well just give, you know, I might as well just die now. Yeah. So he gets tired. <clears throat> um, Verse four, like you talked about Holy Temple. Um, I think it, he could be talking about Israel's temple or the uh, temple in Jerusalem or heaven. Um, so he's expecting to die based on verse seven, the temple more likely refers to heaven. Cause like you talked about, um, it reaches the temple. So where Jesus is um, verse five um, seems that Jonah is getting closer and closer to death. He's going further and further down. Yeah. So he is, he's in the water. He's drowning basically. Um, verse seven, he was fainting at his last moment of life. So he's not completely dead, but um, fainting, just he's, he's there. He's at, it talks about the gates, you know, there's like the gates of Hades. There's the gates of heaven. The gate is kind of indicating. Where do you see gates at? So he's talking about bars dealing. I I, I assume bars like gates, I guess. I follow you. To where it's like, you know, the entrance to the end. Yeah. So he's pretty much like, the bars are closed upon me forever. Talk about the grave. Um, and then, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord. When I was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. So he was praying um, to God for, you know, something, salvation or rescuing. So God uh, <clears throat> saves Jonah through the fish, and then Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving 
thanking God for saving him. And he's quoting Psalms as yeah. a prayer. So, um, so I think, you know, during, during this whole prayer, you know, in chapter three, he goes to Nineveh. So I think this whole prayer, the time of the fish and his rebellion, while um, he should have done it the first time, God's foreknowledge, um, I think God was preparing him to go to Nineveh because he's meeting these mariners who uh, could have been Gentiles, more than likely Gentiles. I mean, they have multiple yeah. gods. Um, you know, he, he gets tossed in the sea, and Jonah deserves death. Again, he's a prophet. You disobey God. You deserve death. And God says, you know, in essence, you deserve death, but here I am saving you. And Jonah thinks the Ninevites, the Assyrians, they deserve death. Mm. And God's saying, hey, um, you deserve death too, but look what I did for you. And so I think he's preparing and showing Jonah, you know, who he is and that parallel of, um, allowing Jonah to get to that point there's to good, show Jonah, I'm showing them grace just like I'm showing you grace. Yeah, there's a good gospel message in there and some of the way you just worded that. Yeah. He's a prophet of God, disobeying God. We should all be, I'm not going to say it, office of prophets, we should all be speaking for God. Yeah. And if we're not, we're disobeying God and we deserve death. And God's main message is, I'm showing you grace, go tell somebody else about that. <laughs> that's the whole that's message of the whole stinking Bible. Right. It's, Tell everybody I'm, I was good to you and go be good to them. It's, <laughs> That's a good point. It's really easy in the, <laughs> on, the, on the base level. So that's what I was going to ask you, and I texted it to you, but I'm not, you know, way you, when you read a text, if you don't read it with the right <laughs> inflection or whatever, it's not a joke. It's yeah. like, what do you mean? So <laughs> I was you asking serious? you, what's yeah. the fish's name? <laughs> <laughs> it says uh verse let's see chapter two verse one then jonah prayed to the lord his god from the belly of the fish and then in verse two he said i called out the lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of shale i cried so the, the fish's name is shale <laughs> well we just got to go find uh, uh historical documents of fish named shale and we'll uh... You know. <laughs> that goes along with those pulpit jokes like uh, who was the shortest guy in the Bible? Oh. Nehemiah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, shorter than that was Job's friend, Bill Dad the shoe height. Do you want to look at uh, Shale for a minute? If you want to. You want to go ahead? You want me to go ahead? Done. <laughs> uh, what I was looking at a little while back with this, I had written some stuff out about Hail, Hades, Hades, and Sheol or Gehenna. I also did a little bit of research on Abaddon. So these different ones are seeing different places together. Uh, basically, you can wrap up Sheol and let's see. Hades, or we say Hades, you can call those the same thing. I get that from uh, the first place we find Shale was in Genesis 37, 35, when Jacob believes his favorite son Joseph is dead. So he declares that he is going to go down to Shale in mourning. And the Septuagint, which that being a Greek Old Testament, translated this uh, particular spot, they use Hades. 
So we can associate both of them as Sheol and Hades are interchangeable from Greek to Hebrew that way. Huh. Um, overall, I'll go ahead and say it just to, you know, in case I ramble and don't say it simply. <laughs> <laughs> Sheol and Hades, same thing. Sheol and Hades are both holding places. They are not the lake of fire. That's, that's one of the main things we should make note of there. The reason I, I got on that, uh, or I kind of ran that tangent is, I want to say it's the only one, too, in some of the places I saw Hades. King James translates Hades as hell. And if we're looking at like New Testament Greek, we see the word Hades. They translate it hell. What do you think of hell? How do you picture hell? You're asking me, like, yeah. oh, Oh, I mean, when I picture hell... Are you, are you talking to me? You talking to me? <laughs> or you must be talking to me because I'm us in the room. <laughs> We're going to have to call call in if you want to, uh, the number in a second. We um, won't be here when you call in, but you can call in. And I'm not going to give out my cell phone number. <laughs> um, you know, hell's interesting because, you know, you think of hell and people talk about the lake of fire, eternal torment. Yeah. Um. And it's weird because whenever I think of hell, I don't think of that, which is strange. Um, when I think of hell, I think of complete darkness without God. Um, I don't even think about the fire. I remember having an argument with one person who, um, because there is a contradiction, I say contradiction. You used um, that word. I did use that word. <laughs> they, they say, <clears throat> excuse me, they say there's a contradiction in the Bible because it talks about hell being having a lake of fire, but also talks about complete darkness. How can you have fire but complete darkness? You could have your eyes burned out and be solid blind and still be in a lake of fire. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, I, I talked, I, I, don't, I don't, I haven't really studied it or looked into it, but I remember, um, if I remember right, uh, he can get so hot to the point it can be um, uh, dark. What I mean is if you have a lighter, we, we think of fire as the orange and reddish color. Yeah. Well, there's the blue that's even hotter than yeah. the red and orange color. And then there's that space where the gas. There's nothing. There's nothing, which is going to be the hottest. Yeah, it's still going to be hot. So it's, it's absent. So I think it's possible to have that heat. Um, I mean, you know, we have heaters. We don't see the heat. We feel the heat. Um, is it possible that heat can get so hot that we can't see? I, I believe it's possible. Theoretically, what do we believe black holes are? They're stars that are so dense that, are, yeah, that their gravity is so great that <coughs> photons cannot escape their gravity. So they are, if they're a star, they're still a ball Burning of fire, fire yeah. and there is no light coming from them. Hmm. I mean, I didn't even think that's a good point. Uh, I just now thought of it, so I never thought of it before. <laughs> well, <it's laughs> but a black thought, hole yeah. could be what hell is. God could be sending everybody to a black hole. That's true. I mean, if you want to, if you want to see how you can bridge across this concept of hell into in judgment into right uh, science fiction. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's what I think of hell. I mean, a lot you know, people think of the lake of fire, the gnashing of teeth, and all that. I just you know, again, I haven't studied hell. Um, you know, I think. You know, I have a question that, you know, is God's presence there? God's everywhere. So, but yeah, but I think I the purpose yeah, of hell is no God. I mean, God's presence isn't there. He's withdrawn his presence. So I'm not really. What about the fact that there is uh, anger in God? That's a part of what he is. Right. That part of him could be there and the love and gracious side could be withdrawn. 
with us in heaven as saved people believing in Jesus, then he says, I'm going to withdraw all my wrath from you because you believe in the cross. That's what do true. we have left is all his grace and, and kindness. That's a good point. In that way, he can still be omnipresently present everywhere, right? including hell. Just like he's everywhere here, but there's violence. Yeah. 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 That makes this a good point. So that's what I think of hell when you say hell. That's okay. That's what I wanted to get as as overall, the what we picture. And normally, yes, you have a, but you're biblical. Your your darkness picture of it is biblical. What people normally think of it is as the lake of fire. That's what they're picturing that time of judgment when people are cast in. Yeah. Technically, the lake of fire is not, uh, excuse me. Hades is what we're looking at. Hades and Shell are not hell. They are not the lake of fire. What we think of as hell would be the lake of fire, that place of judgment to be thrown into. But so getting at what uh, the, the waiting place of Hades and Shell is, even though it's a place of torment and flame, and I refer to Luke 16, 23, and 24, Hades is not the lake of fire. Uh, it is a holding cell and a waiting place. Before the cross, it held all the dead. So, of course, I'm jumping through some Ephesians 4 stuff here, 8 through 10. Um, that speaks of uh, Jesus, basically, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Earth there is singular, parts is plural. There are multiple areas of earth. Right. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. There's a neat phrase for the question you just brought up too, though. Or you, I'm sorry, you're fixing to say something. Well, I, read I was 10. just, I was just, well, I was just going to ask you: Have you heard of the <clears throat> theory uh, that hell is in the in Earth, like in the core of the Earth, physically, uh, geographically yes. located? Yes. Yeah. I'm just curious if you heard of that. Um, I, I guess I would say with that kind of thing, overall, over the whole Bible, now the, the average listener's fiction is look at me and say, you're ignorant then. I usually think everything here is literal. And if it's beyond what we think is uh, physically or scientifically possible in this world, it could very easily be spiritually possible. And there could be multiple things happening at once on both sides of the curtain. Uh, example, John sees a vision in Revelation 12 of a great red dragon. He identifies him as being the devil, Satan. Does that mean that the devil is a great red dragon? <laughs> well, I, I have told you before, I think that there are a dragon class of angels, that he being a fallen angel doesn't make him different quality of being, right. different kind. He is just in a fallen state now. Is he still the same thing? I think, yes, in my opinion. But when John sees a vision, he is not seeing this physical world right here. Do we believe in dragons right now? No, overall. <laughs> right. Mythical so creatures. he's looking at a spiritual being. He identifies him and says he looked like, and he says what he thinks he looks like. Either Satan looks a whole lot in the spiritual realm like a great red dragon, or that's what he actually is in the spiritual realm. So the words that are on the page there are literal. And John is saying, this is what I saw. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yeah. So I give that as an example, but most of the time I take what the page says 
And even if I think there's another meaning, possibly a uh, symbolic meaning, uh, something like that, you know, a hidden kind of meaning behind it that you can investigate more, I yeah. still usually think the exact words on the page say the same thing as the words on the page say. All right. So uh, that's why I, 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 we get on this because I'm saying, yes, I think that hell may be geographically located in the center of the earth. It's a place. It should be somewhere. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's also a place for, well, let me say that. I was about to say it's a spiritual place, but it's not a spiritual place. The people who are raised from the dead, who are saved, are given glorified bodies. We're just like Jesus, 1 John 3, 2. When we see him, we'll be like him. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to do everything that he can physically do right now. We're going to be in physical bodies that are not dying defensively or whatever. Right. They're offensively living. We're forward moving. We are not born like we are right now. And from the moment my first birthday till my next, you know, my 40, 41st next week, I've been dying for 41 years. <laughs> Just haven't completed it yet. <laughs> but I think in that time, our glorified bodies, we're not going to be dying. We're going to be offensively forward moving, living creatures. We're going to be, uh, I don't know any other way to say it. We're going to be awake for sure, right. really doing stuff. And like Jesus, are we going to be able to walk through matter like he walked through walls? I don't see why not. But the people who are not saved, it says they are not raised. This is uh, Revelation 20. They're not raised until the second resurrection later on, after the thousand-year reign, after the millennial kingdom. When they are raised, they're sent right to the white throne judgment, and they're thrown in a lake of fire. They're not resurrected from the dead. Well, they're still dead. There's two deaths, though, so they're physically dead. They're going to be raised from their physical death. Their spirits are in a place right now still existing. The the rich man and Lazarus story, which is what I referenced back in uh, Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus are both in some place. Mm -hmm. He feels flames. He wants water. But are, are they are they the same physical beings they, that we are right now? I don't think so until they are given glorified bodies. I think the people who are raised to the white throne judgment who are not saved, though, are going to be given glorified bodies. Not glory as in happy and never sick again kind of glory, but glory as in it can't die. It can't be burned up. When the worm chews it, it can't complete the job. It will never, ever end. When demons are in hell with you, beating you to death, that will never end because you're not going to finally die. No. It, I've, I, I don't want to say more words. Some of the things I have read about what people have reportedly died, gone to hell, and been revived, and what they said they saw there, I don't want to say those things, but it never, ever ends. That act of violence and death that happens to you may complete and this is what one person said. They saw a person being brutally murdered in such a way they would die and come back to life and it would happen again. And mm-hmm. they were being killed constantly by uh, several demons all working together. That was that person's lot. But they, they're somewhere right now. They would be given physical bodies that can not be right. completed in death. They will endure pain and torture and fire forever. They're physical. They got to be in some physical location somewhere. So whether it's in Middle Earth, I don't know. 
Because we're going to be on earth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the new Jerusalem. I mean, we're, the new Jerusalem and the earth is renewed. Right. So we're going to be physical, though. I just look at it and say, there's no reason. This is this is Jehovah's Witness uh, kind of stuff that uh, hell is the annihilation. Annihilation at yeah. some point that you stop existing. That you that a loving God would never do that. A loving God gave you a son of His own to sacrifice in your place. You believe in that, you can come to heaven and not suffer for eternity. But you call him a liar. Yeah, he's letting you choose what you want to. Call him a liar, and he's going to judge you for your sins and your own merit and throw you in like a fire. Yeah, he created he created all of us with the spirit for the purpose of living forever. Yeah, technically. Yeah, uh, we're not eternal beings, but we are living for eternity. We were supposed to have been right physically. Adam and Eve were supposed to have lived forever, just like they were. Yeah. yeah. So we are yeah. all intended to live physically and spiritually forever. Right. A sin that corrupted the body and everything. So. So I don't think why why would God annihilate? I don't I don't I don't even think it's biblical. I don't think it's but, biblical at all. Yeah. No. So going on, uh let's see, let me skip down to something that's pertinent. Earth is singular here, lower parts is plural. I personally believe, and this is in reference to Jesus after his physical death, before his resurrection. I personally believe he appeared in Sheol or Hades, whichever one you want to say, I personally believed he appeared there openly for all to see. Those who had hoped in God would have rejoiced. Those who have rejected God would have witnessed that he is true. But there's a purpose for both of those two groups to see. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And I, I this is just a picture I made in my own head. But I picture it as being almost a underground kind of cavern with a hole in the middle in the roof. And through that hole is where new souls drop in. <laughs> and Jesus pops in. They see a light coming down through it. Jesus pops in through the hole. He's hovering above both sides and says, he just now said, it is done. Yeah. He dies. He, he, is, he descends down into this place called Sheol and over both sides of saved and, and unsaved old saints and unsaved old old testament guys right. he says it is done he's proclaiming to everybody it's done <laughs> and then he takes everybody from the what do you want to call the saved side he takes all of the old testament saints from Abraham's bosom those guys are not there anymore he takes them according to Ephesians 4 to the Father, takes them to heaven. So where do unsaved people still go right now? The As far as I can see in Scripture, there's no change in their situation. The rich man that went to uh, the torment side is still there right now. And unsaved people who die today are only added to that number there. And they're not resurrected until after the millennial kingdom. Right. Only to go to court and receive a full sentence. And then go to a worse place. Yes. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, we mentioned this, I think, before the podcast, so I'll, just, I'll read it uh, anyway. As I've heard this spoken against, because I, I go through some of the writing here that I'm skipping and kind of explain what my opinion is about the Ephesians 4 interpretation. As I've heard this spoken against, one teacher says, I can't think of Jesus going to hell. I don't think he suffered in hell, too, after suffering on the cross. 
and I agree totally. He did not suffer. He is a sovereign Lord of everything. He is the Lord over heaven. He's the Lord over all the heavens. He's the Lord over earth, upper and lower regions of the earth. So visiting Hades was no big thing to him. If it exists, then it is a place that he made with his own hands. Uh, as it says, he descended into the lower parts of the earth and ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He almost must go there to fulfill that scripture, to fulfill all things. Hmm. Let's see. When Jesus sits on the white throne of judgment, he calls to him death and Hades and commands them to open to him and give all the dead that they have contained therein and have kept until then. And then death and Hades, they're thrown into the lake of fire. They are not the lake of fire. Right. So it's a neat thing I see in some different verses too is death and Hades persons or places. Yes. <laughs> in different places they're referred to almost like we, uh, we take a thing and we give it uh, personification poetically. They're written about in scripture that way. Yeah. So let's see. Last thing I have there is a little bit about Gehenna. I think the the point is already kind of proven what Sheol is. Just to say it again, uh, a holding place for the dead, and it's not the lake of fire itself. Yeah, it's good. I was going to kind of go back and just hit a couple of phrases here and there from chapter two, and just liken them over to some psalms that possibly he was thinking or quoting from. Uh, and let's see, is it two, three, you cast me into the deep. Yeah. So the, with the concept of you cast me into the deep, I went to Psalm 18. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Um, you can hear Jonah's prayer a lot like right here. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. And then Psalm 18, 3 says, I called to him and he saved me. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I mean, very much like the list of five <laughs> and five that he yeah. gives of all these things that are all over him and, and getting him. Uh, Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And you see, obviously, the same concept there of him saying, my prayer reaches all the way into the temple. Yeah. Not too far away from you for that to happen. Hmm. Uh, and 2-4. Here's one. Uh, when you had mentioned, I think it could be both. I will look again on the holy temple. I hadn't looked at this, but something you said triggered the thought. Is he talking about the Holy Temple in Jerusalem? He has seen that, and that is an earthly place that he was in front of probably at one time. Yeah. And he's thinking, oh, man, if I was only back there <laughs> instead of here where I am. Yeah. And then what was the other one, uh, the other verse where he says it? Uh, verse 7, where it says, I remember the Lord in my prayer came to you into the, your Holy Temple. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, let's say this also, though, because he could be thinking like Old Testament uh Jewish or Judaism would have thought because it makes made sense they saw the presence descend, right? 
the presence of God is literally in the temple on earth. Yeah, at the time Judah, I hadn't talked about this, Judah, Jonah. At the time Jonah's writing this, or whoever's writing this, the time of Jonah, God's presence would still be there because his presence isn't seen as leaving until Ezekiel, which is much later than, than Jonah. But I was just wondering if possibly something you had said, I was thinking maybe it's uh he's speaking the first one about the temple on earth and the second one is temple in heaven. Yeah, I don't know. Do we ever I don't know if we ever talked about it or if it's even if we should about where placing Jonah as far as all the prophets and time. I don't know if we did talk about that. I saw some different notes here and there. <clears throat> it seems like it's thought popularly from scholars and smart people <laughs> that Jonah was actually written down much, much later, like after Nineveh's already fallen. No. Oh. Which Let's see. Let me get my special timeline paper out here. That uh, Jonah will be placed around 750 to 800 AD. And Nineveh falls in 612 AD. So almost 200 years difference. If it's written down 200 years afterwards, it's still being, the story is still placed in the time of Jonah, of course. Right. So. That would place him, we did mention this because I had said some of these uh, names here. We had talked about the kings of Assyria. That's right, yeah. Tiglath-Pileser III and King Amajah and Uziah, which is uh, Uzziah. So he's, he's close to the same time as uh, Isaiah. Yeah. That, and, that kind of places him, but. And Nahum, obviously, is a part of this prophecy in a sense. Nahum uh, on this little sheet here is showing up to be around six twelve ish. Also, when Nineveh falls. Falls, yeah. Let's see the verse or the the phrasing here. I will look again though. Uh, Pastor recently talked about Psalm forty two and forty three, and there's that phrase in there. I will look again on your te- your temple. Is that the right? Is that the, the exact phrase? Uh, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. I think he expounds on that. I shall again praise him. That's verse 11 in 42. And then in 43, he didn't say, I'm sorry, he doesn't say I'm going to praise you again at your temple, but I will praise you again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So that's that's the, the phrasing and everything. There's some other phrases, but kind of ties Psalm 20, 42 and 43 together. I know I had, you know I did a little sermon thing for a class another while back. To me, that psalm is, those two psalms go together anyway, but they are the night psalm. What you, what you learn in the, the daylight helps you through the dark time what you learn about god you write you write those things down in a way and the chapters of your book your night song they're not the same verses that are in my night song but when the night comes you need to be able to sing what god has done you need to recall what god's done in your good day times that's that to me that's what that psalm 42 is about and two five through six we're back in jonah 
down to the pit, up from the pit. (laughs) David writes, Psalm 40, verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 69, 14. Deliver me from the sinking in the mire. Let me... Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Verse 15, let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. It's real Jonah stuff right there. I always think of it, uh, I mean, the main thing, different people talk about being saved from different things. When they got saved, the the Lord took this away from them. He took uh, smoking away from him. He took that away from him. He took depression and sadness away from me. And I always picture it in my mind like a, almost like a little short movie clip he showed me, him taking, reaching way down this dark, dark, black, spiraling tunnel. It has almost like a spiral around the outside of it. I'm down at the bottom. And he picked me up out of that and put me up on a, a rock that was beside the, the main entrance, up on the top of the ground. But I always kind of refer to this when I remember because I don't remember it very often. I forget my, <laughs> I forget my old years of depression now so yeah, much. Yeah. But when I think about them again, if it pops in my head, this is one phrase that pops up is, he put my foot on the solid rock. He took me out of the pit. So I like yeah. phrases like that a lot. They really remind me of yeah, where I, I came from. I remember, I would always, I mean, I guess I did that with depression with my father dying and my mom doing her thing. And um, I remember when I got saved, uh, I don't know, th- things were different. Things were, you know, good. I was still struggling with, discouragement and depression. But I remember going to a friend's house and his father was not a Christian. Um, he knew of God, knew of Jesus, but he was never a Christian. And, um, I remember spending the night, spending the night at his house and, um, his father was a great drawer artist and he was just sitting there in his room and he was also, he was a car dealer too. And he's the one that sold me my first car, which is pretty cool. He, he saw, he's, he sold me a Buick and, it was a great car. And uh, I was like, how much, how much? She said, how much can you afford? And I said, well, I only have like a job, but I only work like eight hours a week. Um, it's not a lot. And um, he said, I'll sell it to you for $700. I said, well, I, I don't, I was, okay, well, I don't know if I can come up with that much money. Cause I was only making like eight, 60 bucks a week or something and yeah. had to pay for gas and all that. And uh, he said, you just pay me what you can. So he was really nice to me. And I remember just one day, it was just me and him talking. And um, he just looked at me. He's like, can I tell you something? I said, uh, sure. He said, you know, when I look into your eyes, I just want you to know that I see the most pe- peaceful person I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know how to take that. Like, I was just kind of like taken back, like, thanks. He said, I don't know what it is about you, but every time you're around, there's a peace. He said, he said, I just want, I just wanted you to know that I just really sense a peace about you. I said, but inside I was kind of like, it was like a a struggle. But um, when I got outside my home, it was, it was a peaceful thing. And, and so, I mean, I said that as a great compliment, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, when I think about funny what people compliment you to, to be, and you think when they say the words out loud, it's like, you must not even know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think about when he said peace, I would think, you know, all the things he knew the thing. I mean, he knew of my life. Um, he knew that my dad died when I was 10. He knew 
um, you know, what it must have been like for me seeing your dad die of cancer and witnessing all that. And he knew that, you know, my mom wasn't around and I was kind of raising myself in a sense. And I was just hanging around my friends and just started, just started going to church. I mean, I was, you know, this is a few months in being a Christian. And so I was spending the night with my friends because I didn't know the Bible. And we would just sit there and before, you know, before we go to bed, we'd read the Bible together. And I remember my, the, the son of the dad, he was, I remember him talking about how his favorite book was first and second Corinthians. And so we'd read that so much. <laughs> and um, I remember him asking me a question. I'm going off topic, but I remember him asking me a question. Have you ever thought about eternity? I said, no, not really. He said, let's just, let's just close our eyes and just think about how long eternity is. And I was like, uh, I don't think we can. He said, for some reason, I feel like I can understand how long eternity is. It's like forever. And I could just, I feel like I could grasp that timeline. Like, I feel like. Yeah. And it was kind of, so, I mean, it was like a cool conversation, but I say all that to say, you know, the, you know, the dad wasn't a Christian, but um, it was, it was a compliment, you know, going through all that. And then him, it was kind of an encouragement, him saying, you know, you're, you're a peaceful person. And here I am like ripped inside and just struggling and figuring out what this God thing is, what this Jesus thing yeah. is, what this church thing is. And when he said that, it's like, maybe this guy, I mean, you know, it gave me more confidence that God is real and maybe he sees God in me or sees that peace that God has, or is working on me. So, hmm. but I think sometimes God lets people see stuff in us too that he wants them to see for his purpose to them. And in that sense, hides parts of me that would not help his purpose in their eyes. <laughs> well, a, I, I've, I've prayed phrasing. that too before. Also, is like uh, for a, to be who I need to be at work, I see the people I work with, so, like all of us do, I see them so much. <laughs> God, please hide the bad that I am. I had to please hide the bad that's in me. And don't let nobody see it because I've got unbelievers that have known me for years and years and years there that I have witnessed to and told them what I'm all about. Right. And that I think they should be about it too. And when they don't agree, I just, there's no reason to beat them over the head. Just continue living in front of them, but now they're watching you. <laughs> so that's been a prayer I have prayed before is, is make their eyes see the good that I have from you and me yeah. and hide everything else. So they can't see that. Yeah, I, I think people, I think when, when you're living your life and trying to be a good Christian witness, I think, you know, sometimes that we go overboard, like like you talked about, you don't beat people over the head. You just, you talk and yeah. it gets to the point where, you're okay, you're fine. And you just live your life. And I remember working at a Wings place, and I think I've told you before, but um, the owner, Wes, he hates people. He he just doesn't like being around people. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and he really hated Christians. Yeah. And so he, he, and so I had, yeah. So I had, so I had a couple of friends that, you know, worked with him and he knew me cause I ordered wings there a lot, but he didn't know, you know, much about me. And I was looking for a job and I had the two friends recommend me to him. And they just said, by the way, Mark, Mark does go to church. He's a Christian. And he didn't want to hire me because of that. And so he met me. He said, Oh, you're Mark. Yeah. You order wings a lot. I'm like, yeah. So, well, let's see what you could do. So I worked with them and, you know, I delivered pizzas before. So I'm delivering wings and, and cooking and all this stuff. And it wasn't long that we started, you know, laughing and having 
fun. And he said, I never met a Christian like you. I said, what do you mean like me? He said, well, you know, I, I, I hate people. I hate, I don't, I've never been in a church before. He said, but I've met people that talk about, you know, following God, Christian, whatever. He's like, and they're all, I'll, I'll use the P, I'll use the G rated term. He said, they're all jerks. <laughs> and um, I said, why are they all jerks? And he, you know, shared some things. And I said, well, I mean, I'm me. I'm not going to stop being me, but I feel God, God changed my life in, in one sense, but I'm still who I am. I'm still yeah. goofy. I still like to have fun. I still like to do jokes. I enjoy jokes. And so we're, we're having this conversation. And I remember I, you know, never went to the bathroom there. And I was like, man, I really got to go. So I was like, Hey Wes, I got to use the restroom. He's like, okay. So I'm walking in there and he just, Mark, no, 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 no. I'm like, what? He's like, um, just come out for a second. I was like, okay, is there a problem? He said, there's playboys everywhere. I was like, oh, and he's like, he's like, you, you don't read that stuff. Do you? I said, no. He said, well, I didn't want, I didn't want you to see these naked ladies everywhere. And I was <laughs> like, well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect you to move stuff for me, but I mean, it was nice. Yeah. And so I remember, um, he hired another guy who was a Christian and he just despised him cause he was a crappy worker, slow, um, just had no personality, just was a bad worker. And I remember him telling me, yeah. he said, I will never hire another Christian. And I said, well, I said, I don't know how to take that. He said, well, I, I'll, I'll give you a compliment. I'll say, and he said, um, if you're the only Christian I ever met then I would consider looking up God, but I'm sorry as everybody else. No. <laughs> and I mean, I, I took that as a huge compliment. I'm like, well, um, not to say it to, you know, pat myself on the back, but I think, you know, when, when you're saved, God changes you. And, and, um, there are some changes that you make and there are some values that you make and there's some moral, um, responsibilities that you make, but you're still you. Yeah. You still have your personality. You're still, you know, you don't have to be a tightwad. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't, you know, Christians go out Sunday and you, you know, I think you've, you've heard it, you know, here in the South, it's like Sundays are the worst tipping days ever because for, for waitresses, yeah. Christians are jerks. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I went out to, I used to go to eat with people and, you know, uh, people that had lots of money and they would, they're Christians and they would sit there and to a T, you know, figure out what 10% is. I mean, it just, I was like, just, just round it off to like two bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just something, yeah. but it just, you know, there's some things that just, but anyway. Uh, I catch myself if we have to go out on Sunday to eat, wanting to. I mean, a lot of times somebody ends up inviting you and you go with them, but yeah, they're paying. So it's not my deal then. But if I'm going to pay, if we're going to go eat out, knowing that right there, uh, I may want to give way too much according to my wife's opinion. It may <laughs> be too much for a regular tip, but I also think, Hey, it's Sunday and we have a really bad rap. I should just dump it on the <laughs> if the waitress waiter has been, you know, a good waiter. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they should receive some money. Yeah. So well, on so, that day, you know, after church, we show up and they say, "Here's the crowd of Christians coming in. Here's here's the church people." Yes, we should be dumping <laughs> the money on them to say, "Oh, they got it and they're willing to give it away." <laughs> right. And it's not a big thing to them. Well, it's like me and you go to a pizza place often and, you know, we, we started talking to one waitress and there's another, you know, hostess there. And, um, you know, we're, people are learning us when we go there. They, they recognize our faces. I think the owner just recognizes who we are. 
And so, and they know we're Christians. They know we're believers. They know we go to church or a few of them do. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want to ruin our, our witness or, or being Christ-like. Well, they're good waitresses in the beginning. I mean, yeah, they're they're fantastic. So you want to tip them, but, you know, you also want to try to give maybe just a little extra just um, to try to be that example, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. What are we talking about? Jonah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The prayers and the cast <laughs> downcasting and... <laughs> <laughs> so don't so so you know we're talking about Jonah's prayer and and him being swallowed by the fish and um his disobedience but all you know in chapter 3 we find out his redemption to where he goes and obeys God and where he's a mouthpiece but he's also a witness for God and you know we'll we'll, we'll dig into chapter 3 more but you find out um that they respond well because of the word of the Lord and so, you know, we believe we talked about Jesus being the word and um, appearing uh, to Jonah. On that note, I, I did want to say when you're talking about uh, Christians as people. Yeah. And they responded to the word of the Lord. I do want to say I have chosen to become a Christian in this life because of what the, the book says and how the God of that book is, not because of the people. People, Right. Um, I had this conversation with someone recently uh, when I visited Tunisia. If I were judging a religion by the people, I would be a Muslim now because of the ones I met there in Tunisia. But I'm not judging a religion by the people that say they belong to it. I'm judging a religion by the God of that religion and the book that he has sent to us and given to us. So I'm a Christian. That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean... Yes, we can be bad witnesses, but and we can discourage some people. But uh, when when the unsaved person you may have had an influence on towards the negative, when they get to the white throne, it will not be a good enough excuse for them to say to God, "But Mark was a jerk to me, <laughs> and David, oh, yeah. he's really bad. <laughs> I mean, he's a really bad guy. I couldn't stand to being around him. That's not going to fly with God, even if we were." I mean, we have bad days and we're jerks at times. I mean, sometimes I have good days. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. those are rare, aren't they? <laughs> rare, rare. No. So you want to say those? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> if you ask me, I think I'm great all the time, but other people think I'm a jerk. And you know, like my wife has pointed out to me several times, Mark, you you struggle with mercy um, towards people, <laughs> and so, and other people say, Mark, you know, really, but um, you know, sometimes I am a jerk, and sometimes uh, things annoy me, but. Um, but you're right. It's it's not going to be a good enough excuse. And 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 I, mean, I was talking to a friend, uh, a person that goes to church here, and he spoke on Revelation a few weeks ago in our church. And I walked up to him afterwards, and um, it wasn't a knock on his message. I just um, and he agreed with what I said because I said, you know, it's funny that when people talk from Revelation, I get the dragon, I get the blood moon, I get uh, the beast. Uh, from the land, the sea and the beast from the land, and I get the symbolism or the things that John's trying to describe. I said, I think that's all important. One, I remember being afraid to interpret Revelation or to to study Revelation because there's so much craziness going on, and um, because there's intertwined from past stuff to future stuff, and you know things that John's trying to describe. And I said, there's no way you can interpret that. And then I think it was last year I thought. Why would God give us writings 
that we couldn't understand, that we couldn't interpret. Yeah. So that's number one. So I so I do think we can interpret pretty much most of it based on the rest of the Bible. Um, well, keeping in mind that what Daniel was told, it's sealed until the time of the end. Yeah. Some parts of Scripture are not uh, available for us to understand yet until certain events take sure. place in, in the news. And we say, oh, man, this is happening. Right. We start putting more pieces together, more Scripture starts opening up to us slowly. Yeah, yeah. And but I said, you know, we can we can look at all that stuff in Revelation, but if we miss the first chapter, I think we miss the point. And what I mean is, the, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's about you know the judgment from Christ and the salvation from Christ and the worship of Christ and um, the book that's opened only by the Lamb. And so it's all about the revelation of Jesus. And you know when you talk about you know the reason why I'm saying that is because when we're talking about you know, people can look at the people of the religion and say, well, um, they didn't live right or they were a jerk or they gave me the bird or, you know, whatever. They cussed me out. I Which bird? The flock, <laughs> all five fingers. <laughs> and, and, um, and uh, but, you know, ultimately it, it points to Jesus. You know, who is Jesus? What is, Je- you know, what what's God about? And so when you look at the Bible, um, you know, we always interpret, you know, try to point towards Jesus because yeah. he's the author and, um, you know, people put the blame game. Well, Christians and the Crusades and Christians and slavery and, you know, a bunch of stupid stuff when, okay, don't look at people because people will always be people. Look at God. If you, if you judge atheism on Stalin and, you know, countless others, um, well, well, that's different. No, it's not different. They didn't do it in the name of atheism. Well, they did it from their stance on atheism because that's their belief of from being the what strong they are. survive. So, yeah. so people could put the blame game, but ultimately, like you talked about, you're right. It's it's about God and who is God, who is Jesus, you know, which God's real, etc. So maybe we'll touch on that sometime. How to find out which God's real or which God's their true God? Yeah. I mean, here, back to Jonah. I mean, these guys are crying out to different gods, and Jonah's God is the one that answers. So yeah, whether they actually worship him and get saved, or they just add to, or it's just a temporary, well, this guy saved their lives, and then we forget about him. You know? Yeah. So Maybe we get back home to shore, and we tell our town about it, and it's a, it's a new myth we add to all our other myths kind of thing. Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospies.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes and spread the word.